It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. There are at least 72 Arsenal podcasts, but we, I think, are one of the longest running. I think we've been going for over 10 years. We're the only podcast that has a revolving team of guests. We're the only podcast that has me and Josh. With any podcast, I think, ask the podcast that has predictions at the end of every episode. And we'll be doing that. I warn you both now, Josh and special guest Tim Payton, I'll introduce in a minute, that we're not only going to ask you for your prediction of the game, the first game of the season on Friday against Crystal Palace. I'm also going to ask you for your prediction of where we'll finish in the league in 2022-23. Exciting times. So welcome, everyone. We're back. You can't get rid of us. Um... It's a delightful outlet for me personally and for Josh and for all our guests. Josh, how's it going? How's your summer been? Are you excited? Good to see you in your Soho House Start office. Something changed, thank God. It's great to see you, boys. You've not changed. You're wearing a supreme T-shirt. The backdrop of your setting has not, has not changed. And in typical fashion, you've had a busy day, of course, with, uh, with all sorts of important media business. Welcome, anyway, to our to our frequent guest, um, ASP legend, uh, all round good egg, Tim Payton. Hello, Tim. Hello, it's very nice to be here. I heard people saying today on some commentary, Arsenal have never been so ready for the new season. So it's a great privilege to feel that part of being ready is to be invited to be the first guest onto your podcast. Yes. Yeah, only. I think it's true, yeah, incredible pre-season. So we'll, this is our partly our official preview of the new season and partly our official review of what we've seen so far of Arsenal or nothing on Prime. should be out by the time you, this podcast is available on Thursday, um, the 4th of August. Exciting times, Tim. Yes, indeed. Where should we start? Well, let's, how about we start with this provocative question, Tim Payton. In the, I think it's in episode one or two of um, All or Nothing, the commentary, in the the official narration, which is by the excellent Daniel Kaluuya, actor, legendary actor and Arsenal fan, who I had a lovely chat with last night, who's also in a fantastic new film called Nope, that everyone should go and see in the cinemas next week when it comes out. Um, He says the narration, obviously scripted, um, something like... um, and the Cronkies, because it's a bit where Josh Cronky pops up quite frequently, and they say something like the Cronkies who bankrolled another signing um, as they announced that we paid whatever it was, fifty million for Ben White. Have they? Are they bankrolling all these signings? Because basically, following on from last season's one hundred and fifty-six million outlay on players, and this season we've bought another what five players so far. Um, maybe we'll get one more. Who knows? It does seem to be the case, does it not? <laughs> I put it to you as, a, as an activist, I'm going to call you an activist, that we're in a pretty good position with the club now and that actually maybe the Cronkies are doing a good job, that they've given Arteta money, everyone's making some intelligent purchases, we're cutting the back slowly, steadily as we can, getting rid of the dead wood, more dead wood. You must be thrilled, you must be optimistic, you must be happy with the Cronkies. 
<laughs> Let's break it down into various parts, Boyd. What a brilliant introduction. First of all, I playing Arsenal bingo with all or nothing, I had on my scorecard Josh Kroenke in opening episode looking best buddies with Mikel and all engaged with Arsenal. Of course, filming had to be carefully set up around his rare visit into London and it's all heavily scripted to look like that. But of course, that's what they're going to show. Arsenal are only spending the money that Arsenal raise or has been borrowed. So there is no bankrolling or investment. This is not the Cronkies writing a cheque from their personal billions to make Arsenal stronger. What is happening, I think, is that Arsenal are spending money better. Now, who do you give back credit to? Do you give back credit to Edu, Vinay, Arteta and the team that are kind of out there looking? Do you give credit to the board where I think there's a big Tim Lewis influence? I don't think that the Cronkies have anything to do with that or know what's going on, but clearly they oversee a management structure that is a lot better. Was it genius to get us there or was it kind of luck in effect that they were trying to save money so they booted Raul out <laughs> you know, and put Vinay up? But there is no doubt that it feels like things are being done better now. Um, and that's important and we want to be good on the pitch. You know, I will give the, the you know, the Cronkies a full... 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, when we've got safe standing at the Emirates, when the stadium is refreshed, when we've got a better governance structure for giving fans a say, and so on and so on. But fundamentally, we want a good, healthy Arsenal, and money is being spent and spent well. So that's kind of like the most important thing that's going on. I don't think you'll see a huge amount of Josh Cronkey in the rest of All or Nothing, depending on how they cut it. Because I'm a cynic, I was watching about how on his one visit, they changed him, they changed his kind of clothes he was wearing and interviewed in different locations. It gave a feeling of being around more than you were. You're Um, really cynical. And of course, I don't think Stan Kroenke has watched an Arsenal game, or certainly not a competitive Arsenal game, because he went to something in Florida in the warm-up. He hasn't watched a competitive Arsenal game for, what, four years now? including not going to our only European final in 15 years. Um, in the you know, documentary, it, there is a nice shot of him chained to Jay-Z, though. There is a nice shot of him there. Um, and in some you know, owners don't turn up at their football clubs anymore. You know, I, you know, mm. I remember the days when Danny Fisman and David Dean were living and breathing the club and knew what was going on because they were bumping into us on the trains to away games or, you know, they got taxis around London and the drivers would tell them what needed sorted out. Um, But yes, um, I think, I ought to hand back to you two now, I think the biggest challenge that Arsenal and Arteta have this season in some ways is expectations. Expectations are now very high and that Mm. might be difficult. It also puts a different kind of pressure onto the manager and the players. Last year was almost like a free hit. You had to do better than eighth and you had to kind of feel like there was something going on. Um, In some ways, I think that Arteta probably got a little bit of a free ride over what was a quite disastrous final 10 weeks um, because we, we just about clung on to the broader direction of travel, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Josh, are you feeling, I mean... We'll talk more about the documentary um, in a bit, but in general, are you feeling optimistic? I think I think Tim's point is really really interesting because I do feel opti- I, I, I'm very happy with the way with the signings. I'm very happy with now with the way I think we have an actual structure. You know, in terms of the kind of um, who reporting to who, and you know, Edu dealing with things and Arteta dealing with other things and Tim dealing with other things and Vinay. I met Vinay last night. He seems like a, a very intelligent, decent chap. By the by, um, what, but one, but what I think Tim's hit the hit, hit the nail on the head about is we now kind of I think now the supporters feel like not getting top four would be a disappointment, uh, and and there, there could be consequences for that because it's going to still going to be hard. You've still got you know you've got Man City, Liverpool, obviously. You've still got Spurs have got a brilliant manager and at least two brilliant players up front. You've got. They've bought loads of good players, I think, as well as we have. They've had a pretty good transfer window, I have to say. I dare, dare I say, 
Chelsea, who knows, you know, Man United, you'd think they'd be do better with a better manager at last, a decent manager. So what I'm saying is it's quite likely, isn't it, really? It's as likely we finish third or fourth as we finish fifth or, fifth or sixth, depending kind of on the detail of the season. Yeah, we're fifth favourites. Right. right now, if, if you ask every odds compiler or statistician studying Premier League data and our players and our squad... It says we've got the fifth best squad yeah. and our expectation will be that we come fifth. And yet I do agree with you, Boyd. I think in the fan base now, the expectation is top four. And to a certain extent, Arteta would have failed if we don't get in the top four. And yes, disappointing eighth place finishes. Of course, Tim just put it absolutely correctly. We continued in the right direction of, direction of travel. But failure to get in the top four now... Uh, with the enthusiasm going into this season, with the fact that we are now, you know, if we're going to take anyone's players who are surplus to requirements, sure, let's take Manchester City, let's take Zinchenko, let's take Gabriel, because, you know, I think to most people, they would probably walk into our, our starting eleven for the season. And when you add that to, you know, some excitement about uh, Fabio Vieira, that you've got Saliba back after such a successful period in France, you know, there's an element like of a new known about Marquinhos. Um, you know, I guess the other signing is is the new sub subkeeper Turner. But there is the expectation we go, have we improved? Absolutely. Have Tottenham? Absolutely. Chelsea? Big question mark that, that, that they have so far. Mm. You know, I don't think the reinforcements are there. I think at the moment, Chelsea fans are, are pretty pessimistic. So I heard they put in a bid for you we, late late evening, Josh. <laughs> They, they, they've been bidding left, right, centre for, for anyone. So there's there's every opportunity. Um, I would, of course, turn it down. I mean, I'm incredibly loyal to to Arsenal. And it would be difficult to do this podcast if I if I did move to Chelsea, I think, which would be the main reason not to. Which is the main reason, so, yeah. We're excited. I'm, uh, I'm disappointed you didn't accept my ticket invitation for Friday night, Boyd. But Sorry. I nevertheless just assume that, you know, the lure of, of your HD at home was was too great. Oh, I'm, and I'm going to Brighton on Saturday now. I thought it'd be, it's just too much travel, frankly. Too much travel in you the could have gone on the way. direction. Nice I know, I know. On the way. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I'm excited, though, to, to watch the UHD coverage. It's our, our, our second year in a row that we're away on the first day of the season on Sky on a Friday night, Tim. They know what they're doing, don't they? The Sky absolutely must be, I mean, you know, Gary Neville, who can forget last year, Gary Neville, and Jamie Carragher apparently throwing themselves into um, the, the 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 stadium at Brentford, into the stands at Brentford, celebrating with the fans, um, which was going a bit far, and clearly thrilled that um, Brentford beat us on that. Yeah, and, and yes, and, and and fascinating last season. And if I dive around a bit, you tell me if I'm going off piste here. But Go one of the things that was fascinating having a look at the All or Nothing documentary was I think they skipped over the Brighton, sorry, the Brentford issues by saying, and at the last minute, Arsenal do not have their captain, Aubameyang. Now, a real documentary to me would have gone into, A, the calls and the processes with the Premier League to try and get that game called off, and B, what Aubameyang had been up to that meant that he like not eligible to be on the pitch but of course that would have been documentary not club promo wouldn't it <laughs> but all of that yeah. said and, and going back to expectations we went into Brentford as a mess with the squad and some of what needed doing and where we were are we go into Crystal Palace a great pre-season pretty much everybody fit and healthy we can we know the first 11, pretty much, don't we? We certainly know the first 14. Everything looks mm. really good, which, of course, means it's going to be the worst banana skin ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. On the point, oh, let's talk about the documentary, but we'll, 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 we'll talk more about the, the, the what we think is going to happen this season and on Friday. But let me just say this about the documentary. You could say it's promo for the club, etc. I mean, it is in a way, but equally, I mean, the, the history of All or Nothing, this this um, franchise um, for, for Amazon Prime, for Prime Video, is that they absolutely get loads of um, kudos 
for the way these um, series are made, in the sense that they're very slick, beautifully filmed accounts of roughly what goes on inside a football club, right? And in fact, they they, they, they pay the clubs quite a lot of money. Oh, 10 million. Right, I mean, at least, yeah, at least um, for the privilege of being able to install their cameras and film what's going on, uh, film, um, you know, Bukayo Saka in the canteen, explaining to the kids, his fellow kids who are even younger than him in the team, what amazes and what Thought Park is, which is one of my favourite moments of the show. Um, so I think, I know what you mean, it is very slick. And it's and you talk about the script, and you know, your, 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 your um, cynical view of uh, Josh Crocky stuff, I'm sure you're right. Josh Crocky clearly wants to be seen as a heroic figure coming in. There's one bit where he sees Bukayo Saka on, in the training ground and he says to him, did you get my text where I said, you know, you were brilliant really after you missed the penalty of the Euros, <laughs> you know. I'm thinking, like, from Saka's point of view, yeah, thank God I got that text from Josh Crockett. Yeah, exactly. It's a borderline, borderline excruciating moment. So, but what, I'm, what my point is, that I'm in this long, typically long-winded spiel from me, is actually, despite the fact that obviously it's very much made, these series are very much made with the cooperation of the club and they don't want to piss off the club. The club do not get, and this is, I guarantee this is true, the club do not get a say in the edit of these episodes. They really don't. And in fact, I was interested that in the first episode, they do cover the anti-cronky demonstrations quite 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 heavily they uh, you know they give josh cronky the opportunity but to effectively apologize and say they they fucked up when it came to the the, the super yeah League it was set up so in a way i know everyone hated yeah. me but now i'm great and right everyone likes sure. me yeah yeah you're right but yeah. what's real but but you cannot help but get insights into the particularly the personalities oh hugely involved. Right? So I, I, for example, so the stuff about Laconga in episode three, about him missing his family, about how quickly he had to move to England. And he's a really sad, forlorn figure. And they talk about how they have to assign someone, one of the staff, to help him out psychologically. There's a scene where Emil Smith-Rowe gets a one-on-one where he's shown you know, the mistakes in his play. And he looks really sad and miserable there. And um, and Arteta talks about when the first time he met him, he wouldn't even establish eye contact with Arteta because he's so cripplingly shy. And I think those insights, I think that's really interesting because I yeah. think something like Emil Smith-Rowe being that shy, and I kind of love him for it, it does affect his career, I think. And all those moments, and Arteta's, Arteta's dressing room, you know, um, pre, pre, pre-match pre um, speeches, quite astonishing, some of them. Borderline David Brent, you know, there's the, you, you, people will see them, people have seen clips of them now, they put out clips of them. I think he's very proud of them, but I would say, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, I'm not sure whether this is funny or people, the players, and I certainly think the older players, like there's one bit where you see Aubameyang responding to one of his team talks, Basically, and you can see what's going on here. Going, what the fuck is he? Is he? Is he? What are you on about? So all of these moments are there, and I do think it provides a lot of insights, almost inherently to the way the show is made. Josh, no, I mean just picking up there on your comments on Arteta's dressing room talks, because Amazon did put out the talk ahead of the Norwich game where Arteta yeah. alludes to the heart issues he had, which I must admit I, I didn't know about. And that obviously is, you know, fascinating and interesting. Um, and I've spoken to former players as I do every day, right? And some of them are Arsenal fans and some of them aren't, but a lot of them had seen that clip. And I got really contrasting mm. opinions from players a bit recently retired, not so recently retired, about how it was. Some thought it was brilliant and from the heart and it would be inspiring. And some thought it was cringe. And maybe that just represents all of us. Some of us would react Mm. to it and some of us wouldn't. And it doesn't work for every footballer. But in that moment, he felt it was right. The result matters, Josh. Yeah. You know, know, is it brilliant or is it, you know, Mike Bassett, England manager, it sort of veers (laughs) towards both, isn't it? I mean, in some ways you could say, you know, letting the photographer do the team talk, it all looked a bit strange and forced to me. Um, but was it actually a really nice way of trying to inject a bit of what this match means? And you're never quite sure because it's so heavily edited as well. You know, you're shown 90 seconds of, of a build-up of hours and hours. But, Boyd, I do want to come back. I totally agree 
that I mean, first of all, everyone wants to watch all of it because it's content. What you're getting an awful lot of is insight into players and personalities because they are mm. so kept away from the media and so media trained for the post-match. It's really interesting. I thought episode one was all about Alan Ramsdale and, you know, joining yeah. the club and social media comment and then how much the family were involved in the box. His dad. His dad. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but actually what... It, you know, and then, like you say, Saka kind of like chatting away and, you know, it's what it's really going to do, I think, more than anything, is humanise the players, humanise these millionaires that we feel quite distant from on the whole. I know, you know, it's been a bit better this year and that's where it's going to have huge value. Um, and it, I think it's going to introduce people to a lot of how a football club works, even obvious stuff but what it was interesting watching the doctor go through the introductory medical questions mm. and so on so yeah. i do think that we will learn yeah. an awful lot but i think we will learn an awful lot about processes and personality not if you like the club politics and governance and how the big decisions are made 100 percent. but I, that, I think that's what go on josh no, I was just going to pick up on, on Ramsdale. I mean, I, I've, I've only seen episode one at the time of recording. haven't had time to, to watch the others, but I will as soon as I possibly can. I've got to tell you, ironically, Boyd, another um, social engagement you stumped me for, not just the, the Crystal Palace uh, engagement, was an invite to come to a League of Their Own uh, recording when sadly you aren't well. But um, not only was friend of the podcast uh, Alex uh, Brooker, one of the guests, as of course, I'm very excited that Micah Richards, who I work with, is the new regular guest. But mm. Ramsdale mm. was the, uh, great, the guest great. captain that week. And what a guy. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was brilliant and fun and engaging. And like, I, sometimes I've met, you know, current footballers and, you know, polite, but they don't ask questions back. They'll be polite if you ask them something. He was brilliant and engaged. Oh, where do you sit? And we spoke about loads of different things about, you know, the club. And I asked him, have you have you seen any of this all or nothing edit? He was like, no, nothing. I can't wait to watch it. I'll be, you know, I'll be watching like everyone else. I'm really intrigued how uh, how it's going to come across. And that, I guess, does go into your point, board about, you know, the club aren't, you know, the, there is an element of this is left to Amazon, um, which is what you, you seem to be saying. But I know you've been involved on the PR side quite, quite heavily. Oh, yeah. on, on that point, Boyd, and it'd be interesting oh. to have a debate here, I was told yeah. by, by as soon as you can get at Arsenal that they do have editorial control. Now, that might be in the general right. no. sense, rather than, I'm sure they can't yeah. sit and nitpick, but, for, but you know, no. when the cameras are allowed into particular meetings and what the focus is going to be, Arsenal absolutely do have editorial control. But that's not editorial control. That's different, right? You, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's a nitpicking process. It's interesting. I think it's all interesting. But what 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 they absolutely yeah they they agree which um, moments they're allowed to film, where they're allowed to film, etc. Or you know each post match um, halftime, all of those things. Yeah, they're it, that's all agreed completely, and all agreed. You know they can film soccer in the canteen, holding forth, etc. But they, what I mean by they don't know editorial control is. That the edit isn't run by them, literally the edit of each episode. And they don't know. They don't know. So they're, they don't know and they're not allowed. They, they just don't. It's negotiation. Yeah, right. And in the end, basically, the, the producers don't want to piss off the clubs because then they won't be able to find another club to cover in next year's series of All or Nothing, which is a hugely successful franchise, as I say. So it's, but that's the, that's the case now pretty much with every access documentary you can think of. Uh, That's just the way it works. It would be shocking governance to let in a TV crew and say, off you go, do what you want, wouldn't it? Right, (laughs) exactly. So what I'm saying is, so what I'm saying is, it's literally not scripted. It's not, it's, you know, just to be precise about it, it's not, also do not have editorial control. They have control over the, you know, so it's a negotiation is what I'd say. (laughs) And, And certainly I spoke to the producers uh, as Josh was alluding to, I I was originally supposed to have a involvement in interviewing Daniel Kaluuya and the announcement that he was the narrator, but that was cancelled because he was in LA. So I, I don't have any um, connection to it beyond that. No, they're not paying me to say any of this. But I happen to have just talked about it with some of the producers, etc. And they definitely said that Arsenal were incredibly cooperative and very positive about the whole idea 
you know, which I think came from, you know, the Kronk is down, but like everyone, and Arteta, who was there last night. So Arteta, just to say that at the premiere in the Islington Town Hall, Arteta and I would say half the first team were there. Emil Smith Rowe was there. Um, I think Ramsdale was there. Um, uh, you know, and a kind of, so about six or seven, five or six players, all the, all the top brass um, were there. And Arteta did a Q&A afterwards on stage. And all I thought was fascinating. And he said, you know, he was he was like a mixture of clearly slightly embarrassed by by being watching his, forced to watch his own team talks. I mean, what an extraordinary thing, I think, you know, because they are borderline. I mean, that one where he drew the, the one where he talked about his heart condition, which you mentioned, Josh, and you, and we said, my, I myself had a complete different reaction to watching it in, in the, um, in the, at the premiere, surrounded by hundreds of people than I did when I watched it on my own, on my laptop. When I watched it on my laptop, I thought it was comical and cringe. Then I watched it all this, and there was like deadly, there was apps you could hear a pin drop because everyone was so moved by that team talk. And that made me feel a whole different way about it. So I, they were completely different viewpoints on it from me alone what what this long-winded spiel is all about is i think the the insights in the players as to go back to you're absolutely right Tim. that's what it's all about and those insights are really interesting but the insights into arteta are the most interesting of all because i think it did underline to me i came out of it thinking does does pep like you know i watched some of the city version and pep's team talks are subtly different. Like I feel like there's a slight desperation on Arteta's part, and we're in more desperate states states than City will ever be in, of course, because we haven't got as many good players. In fact, we've got some. We had some terrible players still last year. So, but I feel like there's a certain amount you can sense the desperation in him often in those team talks, and it gets a bit shrill and a bit kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think it's fascinating to see it in action. And I wonder, and I still wonder, and people are going to have a go at me for this, but this is just my honest opinion. I actually think the documentary slightly underlines that he's not quite up there with the kind of, you know, the really charismatic kind of, you know, A, a list of managers. He's still kind of like learning a lot and he's still a bit, you know, wet behind the ears and he's still a bit, some of his decision-making, even in the, you know, even in those moments where he's talking to the players is a bit dodgy. And so I feel like he, he probably thinks, I don't think he comes away. I, th- I think in the way it's slightly harmful to him, not massively. I think it slightly exposes him. I think that's really interesting, Boyd, because I thought that as well. I do think some of it is borderline. Hmm, that's not how the greats would do it. And, you know, the use of the flip tarts and the drawing and some of the commentary. What will be really interesting now is what the squad really think. But, of course, they'll all be influenced by their colleagues who play for England and other national teams and the other clubs who watch it, and they're all on WhatsApp groups together, and you mm. don't want it to develop into your manager's a little yeah. bit Mr Beanish. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I didn't think of that, yeah. Um, we should go to a break, Josh, but um, what did you think of Arteta when you, from, I know when you watched the first episode, but you get a pretty good idea of what I mean, I think, in that episode. Yeah, I think you can argue it either way. I, I, the big thing I was interested in in all... Is it eight episodes we've got, Boyd? Is that right? Yeah. Is yeah. how Arteta comes across. Does he come across as a strong leader who the club have put all their faith in and have stood by and invested with and he's, the captain's gone and everything else? Um, or not? And I'm I'm not far enough in yet to, to draw a conclusion, but I felt that if there was any influence from the club it would be to present the manager in the strongest possible way uh, during the documentary and to look like he's got respect from this group of players which he probably might might very well yeah. do um so i think that's the the key thing i'm i'm going to take away but it's um, i think it's the different you know what i think the difference is you can see it in their faces is the older players who were there who are not now not there like or, or particularly obama and lacazette there's a bit where lacazette talks in the in the um in the canteen actually and he's almost like wryly funny about the fact that we've had such a disastrous start to the season and yes. he doesn't usually take, yeah yeah he, he talks about how well if we don't yeah. score against Norwich and we lose. We're the worst yeah. Premier League team ever to start yeah. the campaign. Yeah, and he's kind Lord. of chuckling about it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it is interesting, it, just my final comment, Boyd, on the mm. on the edit, because they don't have enough camera crews in there. The way they're doing the cut to the players' faces and Arteta, some of it is not actually live, is it? And again, a couple of people called me cynic, but it's the spin doctor in me. If you look at that Arteta talk and you look at the flip chart the flip chart is filling up faster than he's talking which actually shows you that it's being edited <laughs> around 
being edited around as he goes. But they, the producers right. have a lot of power in some ways because Arteta's mm. talking and then you get the cutaway to a player either nodding or doing a wry smile. You infer an awful lot into that kind of thing and you can yeah. never be totally sure exact is that cutaway and that smile actually linked to what he was saying at that exact sure. moment for instance and everything and what we're now doing is what every Arsenal fan is going to do which is probably over analyze this because what we love is content about Arsenal isn't it yeah 100% yeah yeah and and, and... What I think is interesting is that the I, I do think you're right. I can't tell. I, I get the sense. I get. I mean, at one point, Aubameyang literally takes the piss out of his um, post match, out of one of his team talks, um, before the, the the big split episode is going to be episode four. So we haven't seen that yet. But um, what I do think is the younger players seem much more malleable and much more impressed by his spiel. Than, Look, than I've never seen anyone else do it. Right. Never, I mean, yeah, you're right. Exactly. They've yeah. never sat so, in the dressing room with yeah. another manager. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Partly that, you know, I mean, it makes sense on multiple levels that we're recruiting. All our recruits now are in their early to mid-20s because they are, as well as being making sense in terms of the investment in the, in players and being able to get more money for them in years to come and just having an actual plan, you know, is that they're more malleable. And these guys, you know, these guys are going to be more impressed with him and his wall chart and his, um, you know, stories than the more cynical older ones who've been there done that. But anyway, let's take a break. And uh, after this, we'll talk about what we think is going to happen on Friday and this season. And we're back. Um, I could talk about the all or nothing for, for hours on end, but I won't. Um, just to say, though, that... They just haven't uh, paid Aaron you Ramsdale's... enough yet, Boyd, have they? They haven't, they haven't quite sent <laughs> enough freebies, do you? They haven't fucking paid me Boyd, anything. Let me I mean, the, the listeners good. won't see it, but the pile of Amazon boxes behind <laughs> you is staggering. <laughs> I mean, how much vouchers have you got? Don't, don't say that. People will take you seriously. People, I have not been paid anything by Amazon at all to do with this documentary, I have to say. Tim will know the answer to this. Tim, how much would it cost to go in a box at Arsenal? Because obviously there's contra. Oh, it, it could vary, but many thousands. <laughs> Did you have a nice time in their box, Boyd? I had one <laughs> evening in the box. One evening, one game, which I would have gone to anyway, not in the box. So, I mean, you know, it was hardly like contra. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah. I'm just, I'm just ready now in episode three. seven for Boyd to pop up as one of the talking heads because they intersperse a lot oh, very briefly don't they do you know what with yeah. Boyd saying oh no, this is the like, best you... thing that's ever happened to Arsenal <laughs> yeah I, I am not in it no but I know a couple of podcasters are in it I can tell you that there are some there are some podcasters in it um, for sure sadly not us sadly not us <laughs> they, they didn't come to us um, anyway what do we think Tim um, there's lots of um, by the way you were talking about the pre-season um Arsenal must are absolutely thrilled. They sent out an email thanking us, our fans, for making for they've sold out season tickets. All tickets have been sold. They, the Emirates Cup game was a sellout, wasn't it? Which was pretty extraordinary, really. I think people were very excited, clearly, by the signings. Fans, there seems to be a wave of positive positivity, um, and yet there are still some interesting issues, aren't there? Because there's still like in terms of the club. This is the first season of the use it or lose it um, system when it comes to going to games. Can you explain what that is and what the implications you think it will have? Yes. Well, there is huge ticket demand at the moment, like there hasn't been for a number of years. Season tickets absolutely sold out. They had a few problems dealing with, you know, they let some people have the holiday and other people's buy and fitting everybody in. Silvers and reds are clearing, like, really, really quickly. Whereas this time last year, you could kind of, you know, there were loads of tickets floating around. And I think if the teams start well, we're going to be in a really quite, it's going to be noticeably scarce. That brings you on to, it's interesting, the empty seat problem, the thousands of people who hold season tickets and don't come. And typically you always had a big problem in August because, you know, they were all in Tuscany or wherever these people yeah. that buy, you know, club level seats and only come to two games. And there are a lot of them by you must notice this around oh, you. I know yeah. you go to every game. Oh, 100%. Um, and yeah. So Arsenal have introduced a policy this year where if you attend less than 10 games on your season ticket, 
they have the right and we'll remove it from you next year. Now, you could say 10 is quite low when there's going to, when there's sort of 26 games, I think, on the season ticket. Now, let me just define, I can see Josh wants to come in, but use it includes transferring it to a friend or putting it onto the ticket exchange. Um, and I think this is this has been this has been almost Peyton's number one bore the pants off everyone at Arsenal who's listening. I think I first raised this ten or eleven years ago with Gazidis and got lots of spear or got Gazidis. Every empty seat is a tragedy, Tim. Yeah, well, do something about it for fuck's sake, please. Finally, they are doing something, and I think it's great. And I hope it means that more tickets are transferred and put on the exchange because. A fuller stadium creates a better atmosphere, but also I want more people to get in and enjoy watching Arsenal. Does this definitely include club level? I don't know whether it does, because Arsenal will be more Mm. cautious of taking Mm. a ticket that costs £4,000 off someone until they know they can Mm. sell it on. You might remember there was a chief executive going back a long time called Keith Edelman, And I remember raising this with him very early on. And Keith was very blunt, probably the most honest of any Arsenal chief exec I worked with. His answer to him was, who gives a fuck what they do with a ticket after they've given me the money for it? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and um, so maybe it doesn't apply to club yet for the obvious reasons that you don't kick out 1,000 club members unless you think you've got another 1,000 coming in behind them. Yeah, I, I think so demand I demand's oh, high sorry. for sure because even the first few league games of the season, and I've got my friends who are either silver or red members. They're saying it, you are having to log on basically at those times it goes on sale, wait in your queue, and and tickets are going, and uh, and it's difficult. And we've seen as you know, Crystal Palace has gone to a very high amount of, of away credits. Luckily, I'm in that bracket to get. There's been some issues. Tim might know with the Bournemouth away tickets, but that's a tiny allocation, but they've, they've gone to the away season ticket holders and then a tiny allocation, I think, that have come back on sale to sort of members with, you know, basically... Yeah, something slightly fishy went every on. Game. <laughs> yeah, so, so demand is, uh, is massive. Demand is huge. Right. If you, if you start the season well, then it will be then. The, the interesting will be what's Thursday nights like in the Europa League. Oh, and there's an interesting policy there as well which is cup final tickets are now going to be allocated on home credits. You might remember before that there was this free or more away game credit. That's gone, and it's home credits. But not only that, let's say we get to Budapest. I think it's May the 31st next year. I know this because I put my hotel room, the eternal optimist wow. in me. Wow. Um, the hotel room is reserved. Um, if Arsenal get there, the credits that will count most are Europa League games. So it will go, how many Europa League home games have you been to? Then how many games generally? So back to your question, Josh, get there on Thursday nights or transfer or ticket exchange it if you want to keep your chance of going to Budapest high. So you could go to none of the games, but if you transfer the ticket and someone goes in your seat, that will count as if you've been to all of them. Yes. But that's no Hmm. different. That's fair enough. That's that's no different to... What's been in existence forever? No, uh, or you, you can't police it. I mean, you, there's no, you, someone you could physically take my ticket. You've, and ne- go, you've so never known that. that. I mean, I can show you a program collection that's got holes in the back of it because we used to cut out vouchers out of the program. You didn't even have to go to the game. You just had to buy a 50p program and collect your voucher. Boy, you might remember that as well. Josh yeah. is too young yes. to remember the, the yes. days of paper programs and ticket vouchers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's always been I've like looked- that. Any system has got its flaws, but I think this is better because it's driving at seat utilisation. Mm. I got my electronic uh, season ticket today, actually, uh, uh, emailed to me. Um, do, have they done anything, do we know, about the fucking turnstile hell that happened a lot <laughs> last season, whereby it just did not work, the electronic, you know... People- I think there has been some turnstile improvement in technology. Right. And they right. did, did you notice that the email today included a real idiot guide how yes. to use your turnstile. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't ask the question of whether it was the technology or whether it was Boyd's 
understanding. No, it wasn't Boyd. Don Baldwin. It was Don Baldwin, right? I yeah, mean, it was Don, Don Baldwin. Uh, Dermot had one game where he took him about half an hour to get through the fucking. It was ridiculous. I said shambles. In fact, in the documentary, in All or Nothing, I think one one episode in one episode two or three, there's a shot of a mass of Arsenal fans on the steps. And obviously they used that shot to show, oh, this is how busy it is. Look, but actually that was a terrible thing because yeah. it was like complete st- stood still well, congestion. Well, so league cut games are infamously a nightmare and it's largely because it's a new crowd and we don't know how to use it. Right, right. Let's talk about what we think was happened. In yeah, the why summer. are these tickets in such hot demand? Let's right. talk about that. I mean, it's a good point though, isn't it? Because it shows you, it does show you when you sign the fate. I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it is down to Gabriel Jesus. 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 We have to get used to what the fact we're going to call him because he's a very famous fifty million player from a very, from the best club in the country slash possibly the world. And I think marquee signings, use that horrendous cliche, do have an effect, don't. they? On people's excitement levels and people's expectations, and literally in season tickets, Josh. Season well, tickets. I, I did see there was an article earlier today, and I don't think this necessarily is an indication of uh, of just Arsenal fans' excitement and expectation on Gabriel Jesus, but he has become the most picked player ever in fantasy Premier League. Right, three quarters apparently of all managers playing the official fantasy Premier League. There's all Premier League fans have picked him. And that that does tell you there is excitement. And what it also tells you is he has basically no competition for his place right. in our team in a way yeah. that there's not an element of like, let's say Darwin Nunes at Liverpool. You're going, well, you know, do they play with, you know, Salah and there's Yotta and there's, you know, Firmino and there's Diaz. You know, what what do they do? There is, a, if, if Gabriel Jesus is fit, he plays up front for Arsenal. And, it, you know, there is no question on that. So maybe that's part of it. In the Premier League, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but here we are signing, you know, a, a Brazilian striker who is 25 years old, already got 56 caps for for Brazil. And it's not like he was at Man City for a couple of years. I think he had probably six seasons there of, of being involved in, you know, the most successful sort of five-year period we've seen any Premier League side have in the history of the Premier League. You know, he's got four Premier League medals. So to come into Arsenal with a, a proven record, um, not from another league where you can go, oh, it's not the same in Germany or it's not the same in Syria or Liga. We, we've got a player who's proven that he can score goals uh, in the Premier League. And that that is very exciting. I did want to make a, a different point, which led back to what you said earlier about younger players being more influenced by Mikel Arteta. And I'd say another thing about working with ex-players as I, I do regularly. Most former players you'll speak to have a real love for the first manager who gave them a chance at a big club, right? And if you look at our team right now, you'd go in that category, put Ramsdale. First, a big club. It's, you know, Mikel Arteta gave him the opportunity. Ben White brought to a big club, big opportunity. Saliba will get his big opportunity at Arsenal. Under Arteta. Gabriel, the same. Zinchenko, if he plays tomorrow night or Friday night, we can't say that about him. Um, Odegaard will have a love for Arteta because he's brought him back to Arsenal, shown faith after a loan spell. Um, you know, Saka, obviously not. Yeah, made him captain. Saka, we can't say that. You know, he, he's been playing for a bit longer. Um, you know, Martinelli's really had his most influential period at the club under Arteta. You've got a lot of players suddenly at the club who are playing, who, who kind of owe their career at a big club to Arteta and I think that's why there will be a a huge element of unity and respect for him that I think will come out in this documentary and I think will come out in this season more more than ever because you know you go back to that Brentford game last year no more Leno no Pablo Mari no Callum Chambers um Balogun ain't going to be up front on the opening day. I don't think we're going to see Pepe. We won't, we won't see Smithrow. We probably won't see Kieran Tierney. The turnover of, of players who are going to be involved on the opening day for us is is huge, even in that 12 months. And I, I think this will be a team that I hope run through brick walls for um, for Arteta this year. Yeah, it's But you are right that Gabriel Jesus is the most exciting part of it. Yeah, 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 sure. But no, it's also, he feels... He feels the obvious identifiable big weakness. Yeah. Yeah. 
What's interesting, though, and I had to look back today because I was thinking, am I, you know, did I make this? Did I invent this? Or, or was my, I was checking my own memory because I am very forgetful as anyone who regularly listens to the podcast knows. But my, what, when it was announced, when, or when it was rumoured, actually, when everyone suddenly, like the Ornsteins of this world, and I saw, saw David Ornstein last night, he was, he was in tremendous form. Um, when, when he said, oh, Arsenal are seriously interested in negotiating to, to buy Jesus from Man City, I remember a lot of Arsenal fans, a lot of prominent Arsenal fans, and bloggers, as they're commonly referred to, were quite kind of, I don't know, you know, unsure about that decision. It wasn't, put it this way, it wasn't a full 100%, you know, yes, we're excited about the idea of signing this player. A lot of people kind of, I think the initial thought from some people was, oh, you know, he's a Man City regent. Why are we we getting, you know, a Man City regent? All that kind of stuff. And is he really an out-and-out goal scorer? Because the constant cry of, if you remember last season about Man City, and I always thought it was weirdly inaccurate, was they play without a striker. Well, you know, he plays, he played a lot of games. I mean, he came on a lot. He didn't necessarily start all, all the games. He started a fair few. But, and, you know, he's clearly is, he sees himself as that, a goal scorer. It's just that the way that Pep deployed them up front, obviously, meant there wasn't an out-and-out striker. And, who know, you know, and from the way, from what we've seen in Friendlies anyway, I feel like, I do feel like Ateto is following a lot of the Pep master plan in this thing. But I think Josh's point about those older players that aren't, Arteta signings like the like Tierney and Pepe really interesting aren't they because I mean Pepe they must be desperate to get rid of oh yeah um and Tierney I almost think with the signing of Sinchenko and we've been after other left-sided players as well let's face it I I do feel like he's not 100% on Tierney and I, I you know I know what he means I don't think necessarily Tierney is kind of I, I love him as a person and he, he he's great in the documentary by the way he gets them all singing uh, the Emil um Sacco and Emil Smith Rose song the status quo song but is he that you know there are definitely question marks about his defending and some question marks I love him don't get me wrong but I, I think it's interesting I don't I think Arteta in the end may may sell both those players I think Pepe they would sell in a minute if anyone offered a decent and Tierney I wouldn't be surprised if Tierney left in a year or so but I definitely think he's now he's created this core group who of young players who all as as you pointed out Josh in, are enthralled to him, whatever we think of his management. I think that is fascinating. But were we all absolutely positive about Jesus being a good signing when we heard the news? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, well, I, what I do think is interesting, I started off saying, well, why would City sell to a rival? Hmm. And then maybe are we actually rivals anymore? Well, and yeah. what City need is money, because even they are trying to comply with the FFP, but it's interesting. I don't think that City would sell to Liverpool or Manchester United, but they will sell to Arsenal and Chelsea, who maybe they think are just operate, you know, oh, you'll come between third and six. What we've got to worry is first place. But I think this is a very strong signing, as is actually the other player from City. You know, they've let us have two fantastic players that that will undoubtedly strengthen us um, I asked one of the I asked a football journalist last night when, when, after the um, All or Nothing Premier whether because my I, I you know it seems to me there must be an advantage for Arteta and his relationship with Pep I mean you can see how close they are still now whenever you know, we play, they play against each other and, and and this journalist was like yeah definitely there's definitely an important factor in getting both yeah. Sinjenko and Jesus that, that Pep is basically being extra helpful to us because of uh, of Arteta. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, that's a huge positive. You know, yeah, it I, is. I had my issues. It is. And in, in some ways, I want this to be the problem because it will mean things are going well. But, you know, if Arteta continues relatively to ascend, then when Pep's had enough, who's the number one target for City? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. But in and a way, hopefully... that's a nice... You, you want that, don't you? Because yeah, that yeah, means yeah. that... Arsenal have, you know, but only be after him if he takes Arsenal to third place this year sort of thing. Yeah, correct. And then we hope it's not a repeat of what we saw from sort of the late 2000s, early 2010 period where Man City took our best players yeah, one, after, one after another. Hopefully Arteta isn't going back to Man City to do that yeah. um, in a couple of, of years' time. No, yeah. I, it's it's you are excited to think that... There was no question. If we had Gabriel Jesus for the last 10 games of last season, oh. we would be looking forward to Tuesday and Wednesday nights, not Thursday nights, this season. 100%. It is such a level of upgrade on 
a Lacazette that looked like he just ran out of energy and, you know, did, did his best, did a good job towards the end, but it wasn't there. And then Ketia, who who stepped up to a level higher than maybe some of us thought was there and, and you know, did, did his absolute best, but there wasn't enough quality come the end of a season to, to see us home. This is the area of the pitch. We go, wow, what an up, what an upgrade that, that we've had. Um, the well, critics will well, say, worry. well, what if Gabriel yeah. Jesus is injured? Right. You know, right. where, I still you think know, we're, I still think we're is, yeah. You know, I think up front, when you think about it, I mean, absolutely, you're 100% agree about the transformative signing of Jesus. But I still think we're, very, we're in terms of number, we're basically assuming that Eddie Nketiah is going to step up and become a 20 goal a season striker. And I'm not 100% convinced that's the case. I mean, I, I like, I'd love him to, but I'm, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true. And I'm not entirely sure if Martinelli and Saka, et cetera, are going to supply enough goals. So I still think there's a little bit of a question mark about our... It's almost like we've been so dazzled by the signing of Jesus that we've kind of like forgotten that actually we don't have that many strikers, really. And if Jesus gets injured, heaven forbid, well, it's the old... Of, co- of, of course. fucking disaster. Of course. And that's a challenge for all squads. And the reason is, I know in a, in a moment you're probably going to put me on the on the spot for some predictions. Yes. So let me get let me get in an excuse. But actually it's gonna why I think it's harder to predict everything. And I think it's gonna have much more of an impact on this season than her, is in the is in the consciousness. And that's the World Cup break. Mm. Um, and let me ex, let me explain why. So yeah. you've got a very interesting September, October, November. Who is pulling out of tackles? Who is not playing because the highlight of the four years is representing their country at the World Cup and they don't want to go down injured? It will happen. Who's it going to affect most, in effect, out of the big six or where you're at? How are teams going to cope? And someone at Arsenal raised this with me. They're not sure how they're going to cope with those that don't go. How do you keep them fit and interested for six weeks? What sort of training do you set up? What's relevant you know, they're left behind. And then, this has always been known to be a factor, players come out of the World Cup with the Blues. Some of them come out of the World Cup with the Blues because they've won, and actually coming back to a league campaign to fight for fourth place with Arsenal feels pretty dull and not important. Some of them come out with the Blues because they've lost in the final, and it takes a while. You know, Wenger used to talk about the difficulty of a post-World Cup year and who was flat and who wasn't. Who's going to get injured? Who is going to not cope with a volume of games? I think we saw at the end of last year that Saka was desperately overplayed. I blame both Arteta and Southgate. I thought it was almost like almost at welfare abuse type levels, the amount of football that that Mm. lad has played. It'd be interesting to see whether or not Amazon get anywhere near that in later episodes. But, you know, I've, I've, Talk to people in the England setup, and the other, none of them disagree with that. But they were sort of like, yeah, but Southgate doesn't want to lose, and Arteta doesn't want to lose, so they play him. But all of that, Boyd is is saying, well, I think it's a slightly more unpredictable season. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, but the yeah. impact it is going to have, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. They play around the Premier League fixtures, then they fly the next day to join Gareth Southgate or whoever it is. And they play their first World Cup game seven days later. So there's no camp for the national teams to get everyone ready. Then they come out of Qatar, assuming they've made third, first, second, third or fourth place games. They come out of Qatar and they go into the Christmas Premier League season. Fucking, you know, it's insane. It's, it's you're right. It's absolutely crazy. Now, so yeah. let's really hope but, that but, Gabriel Jesus, who I think <laughs> is disproportionately important now and probably yeah. isn't covered, you know, in some ways probably it's best if Brazil don't pick him. And it's why I was quite pleased. I had no real interest in Scotland, Ukraine when they played that World Cup qualifier game. Other than thinking Kieran Tierney is going to get six weeks off. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, that's a good point, Josh, isn't it? But I guess in the end, like all of the big teams that have all in, lots of international players face the same. Yes, so my, but that's why my yeah. point is, Boyd, right. that it's very hard. It, I think it it makes it slightly harder to predict where's it gonna where's it yeah. gonna hit. Are you disproportionately loaded with England players, and how does England's performance in the World Cup 
affect their mentality, their physicality, how they come back. Um, mm, you could yeah. say that they've all got players there and it will average out across the squads and everyone will have a bit of an impact and not. So, and maybe I'm slightly overdoing it. I think it's also going to impact on fans. You know, yeah, got the, it, yeah. the European games come faster because they have to get those six group games done, you know, earlier. And then, yeah. you know, there's more midweek games than ever before. I mean, because it's, it's going to be... It is mad, and I'm, you know, I, I of course, absolutely politically opposed to, you know, Qatar in, in every way, and, and everything that's happened in the in giving them the World Cup and all of that, and the, literally people have died in the in the, in the building of the stadiums. Essentially, it's all horrendous. But I have to say, I was talking about this to my mate, to my mate the other day. This season is going to be fucking amazing as an yeah. experience, isn't it? It's and except your Christmas you party, said, yeah. Accept your Christmas party invites really carefully. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just going to be a hectic, a mad, brilliant roller coaster of a season. Josh, we have to let's predict. Let's let's get let's get serious. What do you think is going to happen um, in the game on Friday against Crystal Palace? First of all, it's a tough one to predict, and I am scarred a little bit by being there for the nightmarish three nil. But we have looked that good in pre-season that I struggle to see that we will we will lose. I think we will win two one, Boyd at Selhurst Park, and get off the season with a with a W. What do you think? Excellent. Oh God! I mean, part of me thinks it would just be typical Arsenal if in this absolutely brilliant pre-season, you know, knocking in the goals and playing really good football and having. An excellent defence. If we completely fucked it up in an actual in the, that first game, and I also think Patrick Vieira is capable of coming up with a tactical master plan, as he did in the last two times we played them, uh, two or three times we played them, which kind of nullifies a lot of our strengths. Um, but I desperately cling to the idea we'll win, so I'm going to say it's going to be a tight. I think it's going to be one nil, Tim. Oh, you two have taken two at a good score. I'll go for <laughs> yes. two nil to. I'll go for two 0 to Arsenal. I mean, I can't, there's clearly banana skin here. That is a yes. tough ground on a Friday night. Quite a noisy crowd. It's a yes. good Palace squad when they're all fit, and I think they are. Although quite how match fit they are, because most of them couldn't go on the pre-season tour. It shows you the vaccination statement status of various squads because none of them could get into Australia, could they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who knows what's coming? But I just think that Arsenal are ready. I just mm. think that Arsenal are ready. And I, like Josh, I was there, and that was a disastrous night. And that showed you some real weaknesses in the psyche. And I also think it showed you some weaknesses in having too many youngsters. I think you can slightly over do the it's brilliant to have all youngsters and the jam is tomorrow you, you do need some jam now but I think that that defeat will actually motivate them and I'm sure Arteta will be doing one of those you know the flip chart will be going off the scale crazy with a with a kind yes. of pride and what are you up for and remember what happened before so I'm going for they'll come out with a 2-0 with Gabriel Isis scoring the first Premier League goal of 22-23 yeah good shout good shout and in terms of uh, the whole season, I mean, I, I would I would say, uh, by the I meant to say this right at the beginning, but I do think that in terms of the the, the purchases, everything to do with the structure of the of the squad, the team, that there is a plan. There was that brilliant people were having a go at Gary Neville for saying, you know, what's the plan? That clip of Gary Neville saying there was a plan is is old, by the way. So I mean, I'm sure when he, when he covers the game on Friday, he'll explain that he probably thinks there is a plan because there clearly is a plan now, at Arsenal. And he's right that we did throw away the top four place last season. People were getting angry about that. It's totally right. Of course, we fucking threw it away. It was totally our fault. Anyway, what I think now is exactly what we wanted. You know going back five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to me, we're finally at the point, I think, now, where you look at the first team squad and you look at the likely first 11 playing on Friday and there isn't a particular weakness in any area. And I think that is, we've been waiting years for that. And I'm not saying we necessarily have a, 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 a someone in every position to back up them. There's some, you know, some slightly lesser you know, choices, I'm sure they'll come out, or some really younger players, you know, who play in the Europa, etc. But I think that team that's played, he's picked the same team twice, hasn't he, in pre-season, and we yeah. assume he'll pick that team. I think that is strong in every single area. And, and, and 
you fully expect, and, and the way we've been playing football in this preseason has been fantastic. So we've actually got a style of play. We've got a, we've got a personality. All remember all those cliches that people used about Arsenal, particularly under in you know in the in transition from Emery, Unai Emery. You know what what is the what is the playing philosophy? What now we've got a clear way of playing. It's really exciting. Jesus has speeded up our attack. You can tell from what we've seen in the piece. By like, almost like by 50%. Everything seems faster and better. So this is my way of saying, I will be, I think, we, we'll definitely be competing for top four, which is the other thing that I think oh, that's all we wanted since the late days of Wenger. Yeah. We just wanted that, compete with the top four, because realistically, you cannot guarantee with all these fucking super rich clubs still that we're going to beat all of them and get them. Oh, the, mar- the margins. Yeah. Exactly. So the I'm margins of third, amazed. fourth, fifth, six are so tight. Right. Exactly. So my official prediction is we'll finish fifth. I think we'll finish fifth again. But I won't be too furious. I'll try not to be too furious because we'll, I think we will be competing for top four all the way through. Well, I just think in the end, maybe some other managers might be better at those key moments of decision-making than our manager. Maybe certain <laughs> players, you know, we'll see what Josh, those odds that you had is interesting. Who who have they kind of got out of the big six then, finishing below us? How 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 did Manchester United? That's interesting because you see, you know, you know, being my kind of people say I'm too much interested in the finances and the government. The correlation that is most correct is wage bill equals league finish, and actually that would have Arsenal coming in fifth, um, which is where the bookmakers have got us, and actually. Mm. I, you know, I say we finished par last year. We finished where we should yeah. have done for the spend. So which is partly why I say no great shakes by Arteta. What a great manager does is lift you one or two places above yeah. your par rather than one or two places below your par. I think it could well, like this year, go down to the final game. Um, I think it'll be really close between Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United and Spurs. And actually, is Harry Kane injured for longer than... Isus or all that kind of thing. I also think what's mm. really interesting and is the constant dilemma. There's an awful lot of games to win that Europa League and an awful lot of Thursday nights. Now, Arsenal have to throw themselves at it for no other reason, but it, it is it's fifth place into the Champions League, if you see what I mean. If you come fifth, yeah. it's your get-out-of-jail card. Yeah. But I also think it can really get in the way. I, I, I wonder if... West Ham and David Moyes think they would have taken fifth place this year or fourth, but they clearly just ran out of steam with all those Europa League games yeah. and a slightly yeah. smaller squad, which is why it's very difficult to do the predictions. But I'm more optimistic than you, Boyd, okay. and I'm going to go for this upswing to continue and Arsenal to squeak third place. Third? Wow. Exciting. Good. Hope you're right. Josh? I think I'm with Tim. Wow. On on, on this. Um I look at what you know Spurs and Chelsea United. It's obviously incredibly tight. But I think third is attainable. And the optimist in me is uh is saying third. Maybe, maybe, you know, we'd obviously all grab fourth in reality, but Third is up there, and I think I'm probably in the camp of Arteta has to get this squad in fourth to to possibly justify the spend. And I think Tim will um, probably pick me up on this, but Edu has for a while now been speaking about this being the season, and he yeah. spoke about how had we gone in Champions League, that would have been one year ahead of schedule. So there you go. Well, hey, if our schedule I, was we are getting in the Champions League in 2023, so that's on the manager now to deliver it. If, if Arteta doesn't deliver fourth, you've definitely got question marks, I think, the way modern football works in this sense of constant improvement. I can see scenarios. I think fifth place but winning the Europa League, you know, big tick in a way because it gives you Champions League. You know, FA Cup win is nice but doesn't cover up forever. But yes, I think Arteta now has had quite a long time and quite a lot of money and I think he's got to demonstrably show another step or you get to the question whether this squad couldn't be performing better with someone else. And I'm very, I actually find myself, maybe I'm just getting older and, 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 and I'm all that, but very sort of neither greatly positive nor negative on Arteta. I think he's done enough to keep going. I like mm. some of the energy and sense of purpose and focus on you. So I'm quite happy with where he's at. 
But, you know, I wouldn't take a bullet for him, but I wouldn't say, you know, he's in absolutely last chance saloon at the moment. I think he's where he needs to be, but where he needs to be is coming fourth or better this season. Well, a very Western-based uh, uh, way of describing it. Yeah, you won't take a bullet, but he's he's in no last chance saloon indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, I think it's, we've been... Banging on for hours now. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining us and making a, a, an endless series of excellent points. Josh, thank you as ever. Great to be back. Good luck with a trip to Palace on Friday. Thank you. And yeah, I'm in the diving pool at the Commonwealth Games. That something went horribly wrong with my diary scheduling and they put together a little programme for me. I think Tim. wasn't expecting um, Tom Daly to decide to take a year off. The uh, Commonwealth Games have been a small client of mine, so I was always going to go uh, up there and Tim, enjoy I've, them. I've talked to you about your interest in other sports before. You've got to focus <laughs> entirely on Arsenal. Forget about all this cricket and all this nonsense <laughs> diving. I mean, it's... Oh, dear oh Lord. OK, we'll forgive you. Um, thanks very much, um, and uh, we'll be back next week. Bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.